This is an OSV Podcast Network production. To learn more, visit osvpodcasts.com. This is OSV Talks, a show where we explore topics from prominent Catholic leaders to spark discussion, explore new or re-explore old approaches, and inspire creative thinking all from the heart of the church. My name is Doug Tuke, and I will be your host. Hey, everybody. We're here with Katie Herzing, an unbelievably awesome person that I enjoyed getting to know over this process with OSV Talks. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Doug. Oh, I love it. I love it. Your topic... Uh, talking about change and church. Um, what I noticed is you're not speaking from a place of like, I'd like to teach you something. You're speaking from a place of there's a wound and we need to fix it. <laughs> for, for sure. You're, you're living in that world. It's a tough one. It's tough. It is. It's so hard to begin doing something new. Yeah. Uh, for all of us, I think, but especially in the church. Yeah. Even if that new thing is a new a new program or yeah. a new way of walking around the church and doing something different, all of the things, um, we are really resistant to change. Oh, preach it, sister. I, I'm a 20 plus year veteran of parish and diocesan ministry work. So all the times when we were rehearsing and we were sort of just telling stories, I'm just having flashbacks, moments of being 23 years old and not putting the table back in the right closet and then having oh that gosh. cause a 45-minute speech at a staff meeting that had people in tears and thinking as a 20-year-old, what is going on here? Like, what happened? Right. I, it's unbelievable to me. It it's is. just unbelievable. Uh, one of the parishes that I worked with, this priest wrote in when they were publishing their vision plan and saying, this is where we want to go for the future. This is what we're doing. The week before he prepared the people by telling them this story, a true story, not made up a fable, but saying at one of his previous parishes, they had this pie sale. And the way that they organized it in the kitchen was they would put the pies over here by the sink and then they would sell them through the window on the other side. And someone new came in to help, a young person. Thank God they're there. Everyone's excited. But she said, well, what if we put the pies over by the counter right where we're selling them? And the woman who originally set it up said, no. And she said, if you don't put them over by the sink, I'm not helping with this event. It was her way or the pie way. That's what he said. And just think, wow, what is the Where, where's Jesus the in that? Logic? <laughs> right? Insane. Where's the Lord? And we're talking, oh. we're getting worked up about where the pies go or even what time mass is, not whether we encounter Jesus at yeah, mass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just saw in my parish bulletin this weekend, they're starting a brand new family faith formation program. And when the person announced it, she did not drop the bomb, which is that the 11 o'clock mass starting on September 11th will be at 1115, which may actually be the bigger twist of them starting a new program because 
changing a mass time at a oh, parish is ritual. the beginning of the end. It's routine. Yeah. Because we are so entrenched in our schedule and the way we do things, which some of that is so good. Yeah. Mass is always the same. Yeah, there's beauty in that. You know what Sin- to do. Sincerely. It's that tradition of faith. We're not brand new every week. That's right. The, the Catholic Church isn't. It's also less personality-based in many ways because of that. Absolutely, right? yeah. which I think is very good. I don't I don't want a church that's based on the person. I'm not following Father Joe. Yeah. I'm following Jesus, Yeah. who kind of looks like Father Joe today, hopefully. <laughs> but I'm not here for him. That's right. I'm here for the Lord. And I need to be able to see the Lord in the midst of all of that's that. That's right. And I think we can really miss that. We go one way or the other. Yeah change all the time. Everything always has to be different or never change anything. Yeah. I've been going to this mass at this time since I was three years old. And I want to go to this mass at this time until I am no more years old. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we get just caught up in emotionally. In caught up. It, like it's not emotionally yes. frustrating. It's like emotionally wrathful. That's what amazes me. It's mm-hmm. the extremes. What was going on in your career? What brought you to this work? What was your career like before now? What brought you to this? Yeah. So I had an experience of the Lord when I was in high school in my youth ministry program. And I said, I want to be a youth minister. And so I went to school for theology. There's not really a degree in youth ministry um, and loved it and came out in 2008 when the job market was just booming because our economy was amazing. Right. Nobody was hiring and churches for sure were not hiring. Um, and so I ended up applying for jobs all over the country and mm-hmm. moved to the Charlotte area for a job as a middle school youth minister, confirmation coordinator, and really enjoyed it. Wanted to get into high school youth ministry, did that at a parish and was an office manager. Um, the nat- everyone's natural transition from right. youth ministry, yep. right? Everything. But I really loved it and I wanted to move on and had an opportunity. And so I started selling websites and online giving and helping churches do that and changing a website. Some of them thought their website was fantastic. And it was in 1998. <laughs> really amazing and cutting edge. Microsoft but, publisher. Right, and... <laughs> but by 2015, it was no longer exciting um, or able to be updated. By There's more laughter without. going on in the room than our listeners can actually hear because right. all of us have had a foot in design. So yeah, so crazy. Mm-hmm. And um, we saw this need in the church for creating a plan strategy of how we want to grow. And a lot of churches do that when they're doing a capital campaign or how they want to grow the physical plant of their church because it's many times a requirement, but we wanted to see it as how can we grow our people? How can we become a 600 household parish when we're only 400 households now? Or how can we increase our mass attendance by 10% every year? And then as one finance guy told me, in seven years, we will have doubled our mass attendance. And then I thought I should probably put more in my IRA, but that's (laughs) beside the point. you know, how can we do that? And so it helped create this whole process of vision planning from serving parishioners. What does life look like now? Where do you want to go? What is the most significant experience you've had at our parish? What are those moments? Yes. To how can we help your family grow in the faith? How can we help you raise your children in the faith? What's missing from our parish that we could do to help you on your faith journey? Yeah. And so then they come up with this vision plan of goals five to eight goals with milestones to accomplish them over the course of the next three years. And then in the midst of that, we saw that there was a a little more of a need, which was looking at kind of the human formation, the way that the Lord has created us. And particularly we were introduced to this change style. Yeah. The different kind of 
all of that resistance to change because we can put a plan together. But if all nobody, day long. yep, if nobody wants to make the changes to embrace it, you, you waste the time. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And so understanding the different styles and what we need and how we can communicate and getting people to have their own self-awareness about their own style is the real key there to say what's holding me back from saying yes. And that was a huge piece just for me, understanding that about myself, being a strong conservator who really likes yeah. things the way that they are and loves tradition and loves all the things that we've always done. Um, because we've always done them. Yes. And to understand, oh, that's just how I was created. But it's not a box I have to sit in. I can do wide, expansive change in something radical and new while also kind of checking my emotions yeah. as I go through. That's uh, extremely well articulated. It's also very hope-filled. You, you and I have a similar, um, I don't know even what, what you call it, kind of a field that we've both worked in, which is where parishes cluster. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I both have worked in that. I worked in the youth ministry space specifically, and we, you know, we navigated kind of, you know, the eight components of helping parishes cluster, all that other stuff. And what we realized very early on, like you did, was if change management wasn't something very early on that was being navigated, you would have a completely unsuccessful ministry endeavor. So, mm-hmm. you know, scaling down on this language, we're about the promulgation of the gospel. We're about Jesus Christ. All of that gets lost when change management doesn't get dealt with. Are you still seeing that in the field when you're working with clustered parishes, combined parishes, pastorates, whatever people call them Mm -hmm. nowadays, where they just never manage the change so everyone's just pissed, even though there's a good plan? Right. I mean, I think a lot of times people think, oh, well, you if only you just communicated it, I would feel better about it. And when a What a misnomer. What a horrible misnomer. What a terrible word, actually. But when a parishioner says that to a parish staff member, they're like, I, I had it in the bulletin. Right. There it's was a, a pulpit announcement about it. Yeah. I spoke to you individually one-on-one about it. We put it on our website. We made a video about it. We put it on Facebook. We tweeted it to the world. What else should we have communicated? Yeah. But I think what it really comes down to is that people are not feeling their feelings, validating them, expressing them, and then moving on. Yeah. Which is a process. Can, Absolutely so you just articulated a process, a process, right? which is way harder than a tweet. It's very much, yeah. and it's so internal. Yeah, It's about me, the parishioner. How do I feel about this? Or how am I deciding to think about this even? Yeah. If I go back to my parish, the mass time, I love a later mass. When I moved to Huntersville, we had mass at noon, my absolute favorite time. Like so much relaxing in the morning, doing things at home, mass. I don't feel the whole day has gone when I go to a later mass. However, I'm singing in the choir now and my choir members, when it's at 11, they're like, the whole day is shot when I come to 11 o'clock mass. The whole day is gone. And if that's what you think about that mass time, it's going to be a pain every single time you yes, go. Yes, it is. Yeah, it it's is. It's going to be awful. Yeah. But what I learned through change management and learning about emotional intelligence and the way we are created by God and the way our brains work is that we can decide what we think about that. We can say, Mass 1115 is the perfect time because I get all of this relaxing time in the morning and all of these things to do. I can, you know, go for a walk and listen to birds and drink my tea outside, read a book and exercise, all those things. Or I can think this is a slog and I hate it. Yeah. I can't get to the things I really want to do until this thing is over. Right. So it's a barrier. And that 
you know, that um, idea of confirmation bias, we find evidence for the things that we're looking for. Mm. I see that over and over again in the church in the way that I see the church is that if I want to see that the church is always changing and never stays the same, because I hear that from people all the time, you never stop changing. And I'm looking at them and saying, what are you look? How did you see that? Mm-hmm. What are you looking at? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen, you know, anything change yeah. here. But then I also see some people saying we never change at all. Yeah. Nothing is ever different. And then you're going to find evidence for that. Yeah. But the church doesn't move in minutes or decades. Sometimes the church moves in centuries. Oh, yeah. We do move slow because we don't we're not reactive yeah. to the culture. Yeah. But we do need to learn how to respond better. It's it's not I, I think it's fair to say, but please correct me. It's just it's not easy. It's just a it, it's it's but it is effective. Like it just seemed, I, I think I told you this story. I was, I was worth a parish that was rebuilding. They needed to relocate. And of course, building parishes, good Lord in heaven, listening sessions, coffee getting thrown, furious people, two parishes were going to close, new parish was getting built. And the elderly at a single, at one of the parishes were just furious, right? And this is very stereotypical. Well, it wasn't until there was an actual conversation, right? It's like, why are you so mad? And they were mad because all the money they had invested into this beautiful church, the pews, the walls, the paneling would be destroyed. Mm-hmm. And they had so many stories to tell. So we got this idea. We had the teens go in there with digital recorders and each teen was assigned to a specific person. And they spent an hour with them after the 11 o'clock mass, uh, uh, listening to their story. And who became the biggest advocates for them at the next listening session? The young people advocating for the elderly and mm-hmm. the young people also sharing their excitement for what the new faith community would bring. So then all kinds of possibilities for integrating these previous gifts into the new building, all that stuff came out of it. And it was from hard work, like long, hard work. Let's encourage teens to listen. All that stuff is so consistent with what you're teaching the church now. Mm -hmm. And I think people are averse to the challenges that come with the hard work of listening. Absolutely. Are you finding that? Is that 100% empathy, listening, understanding other people, listening to understand someone, to connect with someone. Yeah, they all sound good on a coffee mug, but when you actually do it, It, right? Right. You have to completely rewire how your brain works because you have practiced not doing that. Mm -hmm. You've practiced having an opinion. And we, in our culture, I remember one time I was at the parish and I had nothing to do with RCIA and they were talking about ordering gifts for the RCIA candidates. And the priest said to me, he said, well, what do you think? I said, well, I've never been in RCIA. I have nothing to do with this. I don't even know anyone in the class. I, I don't, my opinion doesn't matter. He goes, but you have one, don't you? I said, I sure do. <laughs> <laughs> but that idea, I could say that to almost anybody mm. about any topic in our culture. I have an opinion about it. And we are rewarded for having a fiercely formed, passionate opinion Indeed. about something that we are not educated about. Indeed, many times, yes. To yeah. say, oh, I'm not sure what we should do with that foreign conflict issue in Congress, law that's coming out, thing in California I've never experienced before. People look at you like, what do you mean you don't know? I don't know because I don't know. Like we need to have that value. But in the church, everyone has an opinion about everything. Oh, yeah. Usually an emotionally charged opinion. An emotionally charged opinion. I went to a parish in California and we were talking about evangelization. And one guy was like, we absolutely cannot put that word in our plan. I said, what do you mean? And he said, that's a Protestant thing. Wow. And I said, well, in fact, the Protestants got it from us. The yeah. problem is they just do it better than we do. Yeah. But we need to use that word 
Pope Paul VI says the church exists in order to evangelize. That's right. It's her if deepest tell, identity. If you can't yeah. tell me we can't use that word, Ooh, we got a problem. then <laughs> we, we are ceasing to exist. Yeah. Or, you know, we, what's our purpose? What are we even doing here? We're not a social club. This isn't a country club that people belong to and just get the things that they want. But yeah. we have so many opinions. It shouldn't be this way or it should be this way or, you know, all these things. We say, well, what's your... What's your basis for that? Yeah. Oh, well, I feel like that's true. Oh. Mm, that's problematic. Yeah. We, I mean, there is a lot of emotion with faith. It's very personal. Yeah. And I have a lot of emotions about faith. You know, we could talk about our own stories and and be very emotional about it. Yeah. And also, we don't feel truth. Yeah. God's not an emotion. God uses emotions. But Absolutely. Emotion. And yeah. when I teach emotional intelligence, I say we have to use emotions as our superpowers, not to be bogged down by them or taken over by them. And in the church, we so often are. The yeah. things that are non-emotional, like what hymnal we use. Yeah. But how many how many parishes have cried over that? Oh yeah. I mean fierce tears. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Of, but we we need to be able to have the freedom to experiment and do something new and to have some changes. And because people are struggling with our kind of fierce emotions. They have a hard time getting in Indeed. Yeah. to the community. And fierce emotions can act as an agent of alienation. I mean, they, they drive mm-hmm. me. Your, your fierce overreaction to the song that got played at mass that wasn't the usual one makes me just go, the heck with you. And, I, and then I bail. And that, mm-hmm. th- that's very real. Um, that's very real. You and I have joked about this. Like We are a church of the transubstantiation, literally the most profound change in the history of humanity but we struggle with change. And it's mm-hmm. and, and this is something that Catholics need to reckon with, is that the evolution of who we are as a worshiping people is just a part of who we are as a worshiping people. Um, and that's it's short-sighted to think that we're not that. Um, who are your mentors? Who are the people that most influenced you both in ministry and in, in life and, and really kind of shaped the way that you approached your work and, and whatnot? Yeah. Well, my experience of faith, I would say, is my reason why I got into this and in mm-hmm. doing that. And I have... I struggled a lot just in my own life with belonging and in when I was in school and my family, et cetera. And I think I found a place where I felt like I belonged in mm-hmm. the church. Mm-hmm. That I wasn't the weird kid or the one who didn't fit in. And mm-hmm. my youth group really did that. And my youth minister, his name's Aaron, was a profound influence. See, all of us youth ministers, we love hearing that. We love that. We, we love hearing why those I went stories. Into youth ministry. We love those stories. Um, and mm-hmm. still now is, you know, that piece. And then I see a lot of things. I really kind of got into understanding myself better. I read things from Dr. Brene Brown mm-hmm. and that piece of understanding kind of who we were created to be and how we were missing that piece in the church. We were mm-hmm. very spiritual, but we kind of took the humanity of it, yeah. of the emotion of how God created us. Yeah, She describes it as wholehearted. And I love that so much. I, I that. listened to her, uh, Ted, her first Ted talk yep. yesterday in morning. I was getting ready to it's fly game here. Well, you, were going for, you were going for the stars on that one. That's yeah. Good. I said, if she can do it and it, you know, oh. and it 50 million people or whatever can game watch changer. it, surely I can do it in five game people changer. can watch it. Um, <laughs> but this you know, that piece of kind of who we are and that vulnerability and we expect it from other people and we expect it from our leaders, but we have a hard time giving it or talking about it. And I think we have to really talk about our faith. We have to be able to share our faith story, share 
what the Lord has done in our lives, not just about. Couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Oh, it just makes it personal and makes it more inviting. I'm very inspired by your your willingness to learn and teach. So there's a sense of like the church has a lot to learn. We have a lot to do. Let's go to work. Also, your work ethic is incredible. You worked very hard on your OSV talk. Thank you. I know how good it is, and I know how great it is to share the rest of the world. So I'm very thankful for that. And it's a message that we all need to hear, whether we like lima beans or not. We're we're, we're all going to listen. Katie, thanks for coming on the show. We appreciate it a ton. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. OSV brings you these talks from prominent Catholic leaders to get the church talking. You can enjoy all OSV talks at osvtalks.com. Please rate and review our show wherever you like to listen. Until next time, God bless.